Welcome to the January 16th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 21, verses 10 through 19, and the sermon is entitled, Restoring Peter, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we come together today, I want to begin with a word of thanksgiving uh, for a new governor that has come to office and to a new cabinet that's come to the office in the state of Virginia. I hope you were able to watch yesterday some of the inauguration uh, of our new government officials and I must say it is one of the most moving moments of the government that I have ever seen in my life because the entire inauguration was Christ-centered it was beautiful the most moving moment in the entire inauguration is when the governor his wife and leaders of our state join hands together and the governor prayed and he ended that prayer in the name of Jesus Christ and I am so proud uh, that we are seeing that happen because our state can lead a nation back to Jesus Christ praise God for that and I want you to know as well that last night I came in as usual to study and get ready for this day uh, and uh, while I was here I composed a letter from Clifford Baptist Church congratulating our governor uh, and welcoming him to office and letting him know that our church stands with him. And that letter right now is in the post office in Clifford, Virginia. will be fired out of there as soon as possible, but it is headed to the governor on behalf of Clifford Church. So I want you to know we are proud of what we're seeing happening right now, and we pray, continue to pray for our governor, our lieutenant governor, and all the cabinet that they stay strong in the ministry of Christ as they're in that office because we know that there will be challenges to come. And so we want to lift them up in prayer. We want to lift up this day in prayer. Again, it's good to be together. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We are closing in on a conclusion of a marathon study through the Gospel of John. Uh, the last chapter, here we are. This is sermon number 65 uh, of our sermon series through the Gospel of John. One more sermon to go next week. But as I said last week, this chapter is kind of the epilogue, the postscript to the body of the Gospel of John. It is the Word of God. It is important in the message that it gives to us. And there are two main characters in John chapter 21, Jesus and Peter. They are the two centerpieces of that last chapter. Last week we studied verses 1 through 9. Let me get us all off to the same start as we open our Bibles today. Uh, as we think about John chapter 21, I want you to know that all the believers, all the disciples, and many who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see the gospel of John chapter 21 open, they're at the Sea of Galilee. They're in the area of Galilee. That's interesting because as chapter 20 closes in the gospel of John, Everybody is in Jerusalem. That's the resurrection chapter. That's where the resurrection took place, as well as the crucifixion. So ch chapter 21 of John closes in Jerusalem, but chapter 21 opens 70 miles north at the Sea of Galilee. So in that little white spot between chapter uh, end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, there's a 70-mile journey that has taken place. Why is that? Why are the believers now at the Sea of Galilee rather than Jerusalem? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, instructed his disciples to meet him there in Galilee. They were to travel from Jerusalem and meet him in Galilee. So Peter and 
many, all the disciples and many believers went to Galilee to meet Jesus there according to his instruction to them. Peter and a group of six other believers had gathered as a little subgroup of all who had gone to Galilee, and they were there waiting to see the Lord. But I want you to remember that Peter's stomach is in a knot. And the reason he is so upset is he is waiting to see the Lord he had denied. The night before the crucifixion, Peter three times denied even knowing Jesus, much less having him as his Lord and his Master and his Savior. He denied even having a relationship and acquaintance with him. And so Peter is waiting at Galilee with the rest of the disciples, waiting to see and meet Jesus, not knowing what Jesus would say to him when they first would meet. So as Peter waited on, his nerves got the best of him. Finally, he blurts out, I'm going fishing. And the other six disciples who are with him say, well, we'll go with you. We will fish with you. Peter decides he's going to go back to his old profession. He had grown up in this profession of fishing until he signed on with Jesus for that three years of ministry with him. But now he is waiting, he is upset, he is anxious, he is nervous, and so he goes back to his comfort zone. He says, I'm going back to fish. And so the six disciples go with him, one of whom is the writer of the gospel. John is in the boat along with Peter and and others as they go out to go fishing. Well, they fish all night. And they catch absolutely nothing, zero. They fished all night from nightfall, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., daybreak, nothing. And they were frustrated that they had caught nothing as they had fished all night. But the next morning, a stranger on shore, they're about a football field out in the Sea of Galilee fishing, so they couldn't make out who was on the shore. But a stranger on shore said, throw your nets to the other side. You've not caught anything. He'd asked them. They said, no, we've not caught. He said, throw your nets to the other side. And when they do, they're slammed with fish. Fish absolutely fill their net. And the disciple John says, Peter, that's Jesus on the shore. John seems to have this tender heart of knowing about Jesus before anyone else does. And he says, Peter, that's John on the shore. Or rather, that's Jesus on the shore. And old Peter leaves the other six in the boat, dragging the fish in, and he jumps in to swim to meet Jesus on the shore. Now, I want you to remember, he doesn't know the reception he's going to receive when he gets there. He doesn't know the first words that's going to be spoken to him by the Lord, by his Savior, by his Master. He doesn't know what he's going to hear, but he just knows he has to go. He knows he has to go to meet Jesus. And so he swims in. As hard as he can swim, he gets there, and the boat comes along dragging that big catch of fish, and the Lord meets them all on the shore. And there's a fire of coals there. He has prepared breakfast for them. That's where we pick up today. John chapter 21, go with me to verse 10. Keep your Bible open. If you're streaming with us, keep your Bible open. We're going to look for more verses than just these few today. But let's begin here. Uh, John chapter 21, go to verse 10. Hear these words from the Lord, from the gospel of John. Jesus saith unto them, remember now on shore with the breakfast, with the fire of coals, Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land 
full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. But none of the disciples durst or dared ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So as Peter and these six other fishermen come to the shore to meet Jesus, Peter swimming in, the rest of them coming by boat, dragging in the fish, Jesus says something very interesting to them in verse 10. Look again at verse 10. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. So the Lord asks these fishermen to contribute some of the catch that they had brought to shore. That's an interesting statement to me. He asks for them to contribute to the breakfast, contribute of the fish that they had just brought in. Well, Jesus really didn't need their contribution. If Jesus had so decided, he could have fish jumping out of the Sea of Galilee onto the grill if he wanted. But he asked the disciples, give something of your catch to me. Jesus asks for a contribution from them. Maybe it was a tithe of fish, 15 or 16 fish. But I believe this gives us a very valuable fact of the Bible that you nor I should ever forget. The Lord will ask believers to contribute what we have in our hands to bring on the kingdom's work, to encourage and support the work of the kingdom in this world. The Lord Jesus asks you and me as his children, as his believers, his sons and daughters, that we contribute to his work. He asks the disciples, contribute to the fish, and he asks us, whatever you have in your hands, I want you to contribute it to my work. Here he asks fishermen for fish. In Exodus chapter 4, he asks Moses to contribute his old shepherd's rod, his old stick. And God took that old stick and he made it an article of divine authority as Moses held it in his hand. In John chapter 6, a little boy contributed lunch. And Jesus took those few fish and those few loaves of bread and he fed 5,000 men and an unnumbered host of women and children because a little boy surrendered his lunch to him. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus took two pennies in the hand of a poor little widow lady who freely gave her offering at the temple and he gave us a lesson about what true giving is. And so... The Lord takes our contributions when we give them to Him freely and He uses them in the kingdom's work. Listen, believer. Jesus will take your and my dollar. He will take our hammer. He will take our spare minutes. He will take your talent. He will take your mechanical skill. He will take your cooking ability. Whatever it is, whatever you have in your hands, whatever you have in your uh, toolbox of talent, and He will use that if you will contribute it to Him. However, I want you to realize that he will not wrench your dollar from you. He will not take your talent from you and make you use it. It's based on surrender. It's based on contribution. It's based on freely giving what the Lord would desire us to give, whatever you have in your hands. If you'll surrender to him, he will use it in the kingdom's work. Amen? We have to remember that. We need to surrender to him. It's a fact of the Bible. We need to be willing to surrender to him and release it to him. And there's the key. We give it to him freely. 
and then he'll use it, whatever it is in our hands. Now, in John chapter 21, Jesus calls these seven men to come and dine with him. Chapter 21, verse 14, that tells us that this is the third time that the disciples see Jesus after his resurrection from the grave. Well, let's count them up. Number one in John. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus comes to his gathering of disciples. Remember, it was the evening of the resurrection. And Jesus meets with them. They're, they're behind a locked door, yet Jesus comes into the room freely. But they're in a locked room because they're scared, but they're scared for their lives. Their Lord, their master, had died on a cross. And they were scared that they might meet the same fate. So they're gathering behind a locked door, and yet Jesus meets them there. And the first words he says to them would be, Peace be with you. I give you my peace. Peace be unto you. It's their first meeting. Remember, there was one disciple missing. His name is Thomas. Didymus. So the second appearance of Jesus now is in John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29. Eight days later, Jesus meets these same men in this same room on another Sunday evening, a Sunday a week ahead now from the resurrection. He meets his disciples again, and Thomas, old Didymus, twin, is now in that group. However, Thomas had said, I'm not going to believe all of this resurrection jargon until I place my fingers in the wounds of his hands. I thrust my hand in his side where the spear went. I cannot and I will not believe. And yet Jesus meets his disciples there. He meets Thomas there. He turns his attention to Thomas, and Thomas does not have to touch Jesus, but rather he comes to the Lord in faith, and he makes the greatest acclamation of faith in the entire Bible. My Lord and my God. The greatest acclamation of who Jesus is, Thomas makes it in that upper room in the second meeting with Jesus. But I want you to think of this. In, the, in these two meetings where Jesus meets these disciples in this room, there's no, there's no indication that Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Peter's there for sure. He's one of the disciples. He's one of the leading disciples. He's there. But there's no indication that Jesus and he have a conversation. He's quiet. Jesus doesn't deal with his denial in those first two meetings. But everything changes in meeting number three in John chapter 21. Jesus focuses his attention on Peter. And this is the moment that Peter had dreaded. And yet, it's the moment he longed for. He knew he had to get this right. He knew this moment had to come that Jesus would deal with him. He wanted to get this fence mended. He wanted to get this wound healed. And so he was eager to meet with Jesus, although he dreaded it down deep because of his denial. So look at the conversation between Jesus and Peter. Verses 15 through 17, John 21. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved 
because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. As we look at those questions, after breakfast, Jesus is turning his attention to the man who had denied him three times. Notice that he asks him three times a response to restore him. Denied three times, restoration is offered three times. And in response, as the Lord asks Peter three questions, here's the first question. Look again at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. When you see those words, we look at those questions, I want you to first of all notice when Jesus asks this man these three questions, he does not call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of Jonas. He calls him by his old, worldly given name rather than the name of Peter. He reverts back to Simon. That's significant. Jesus himself had renamed Simon to the name of Peter. Now, if you've been in Sunday school all your life, you know what Peter means. It means the rock, the strong one. But Peter had proven to be much less than a rock on the night before Jesus was crucified. His strength melted, and he denied the Lord three times. So he wasn't a paragon of faith and strength when he denied the Lord. So Jesus goes back to his old given family name, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, before we move on in these questions, let me give you a little lesson in Greek because it is very, very imperative that you understand actually what is being said in this conversation. You know, and in English, this, this text is, is faithful to our language because we only have one word for love. Love. That's the word. I love country ham. I love drives in the country. I love my wife. I love my children. And you can see there are different variations of the depth of love and the kind of love, even though we only use one word to express it. But Greek is a much more expressive language. And in order to have the full impact of what's being said here, you have to understand a little bit about Greek. In this passage, there are two different Greek words used for the word love. The first one is agape, deep, self-giving, sacrificial Love. It's God's love. It's God's love the way He loves us sacrificially. He loves us deeply. He loves us intensely. Agape love, God's love. But the second word is phileo. And it is a lesser, weaker term for the word love. It's actually brotherly love, not that deep sacrificial love. I want you to keep those two forms of love in your mind because they tie into what's being said here. Agape and phileo, two different kinds of love. So in John 21, verse 5, Jesus says, Simon, do you agape love me more than these? Well, first of all, who's more than these? Who is he referring to there when he asked Peter, asked Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you agape love me deeply, sacrificially? Do you love me more than these? Who are the these? Well, I believe Jesus is pointing to the other disciples, those other six standing there on the shore with him because in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, records a statement that Peter made in the upper room before the crucifixion. 
And Peter said to Jesus, If everyone in this room falls away from you, I will not fall away. And basically what he's saying, in other words, there's, I love you more than these guys do. They are going to fall away from you, but I will never fall away. I love you more. I agape you more, is what Peter said in that upper room. So in the first question, Jesus says, do you really agape love me more than these other disciples? I believe that's what he says. Now, he could have been referring to the fish, his old profession, but I believe he's talking about the disciples here. And Peter does say yes. But in a complete lack of confidence in what he had already said against the Lord, he says, you know I love you deeply like a brother. He uses the word phileo. So Jesus says, do you agape me with a deep sacrificial love? And Peter said, yes, I do. I love you like a brother. He uses a completely different term, a weaker term in speaking to Jesus. So Peter downgrades the word love. And yet, at the same time, Jesus speaks to him a word of restoration. He says, feed my lambs. Jesus is pointing to the future and what's going to happen in Peter's life. He's going to become a pastor in a newborn church. We know that happens. We see the church born in Acts chapter 2. We see the greatest sermon preached on that day coming from the old disciple Peter. And 3,000 souls were saved as the beginning of the church was laid. And Peter became a pastor within that church. And so looking forward, Jesus is restoring him, said, feed my lambs. Lambs are little sheep. So he begins by saying, feed my children. And the word that he uses here is for little ones, that we're to feed the children on the Word of God. It's extremely important that we raise up our children on the foundation and the basis of the agape love of God through Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, I, I truly love children. And if you and I are having an adult conversation out here at the doorway and a little one walks up and wants a hug, I'm going to leave you because I love children. I love to hug them. I want to make over the children because they're our future. They need to know we love them, we support them, we encourage them. And so Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs, feed the little ones. The church is going to need them. It's still true today, amen? We feed our little ones because they're our leaders tomorrow. So he restores him in that way, feed my lambs. Then Jesus asks Peter a second question. John 21, do you agape love me, Simon? Again, Peter says, yes, I do. But again, he's so beaten by his denial, he still can't use the word agape. So again, the second time, he says, I phileo, I, I love you like a brother, Lord. So Jesus says, do you agape love me with sacrifice, and Peter answers with a lesser love, again, the second time. And yet, at the same time, the Lord continues to restore him. Peter says, you know, I'm, I'm very fond of you, Lord. You know I love you like a brother. I believe he wants to use the word agape. I believe he wants to invest himself completely. He's just so insecure in that. That's the ultimate commitment, and yet he had left the Lord in such an ultimate treason and denial. He just couldn't bring himself to use the word. He's so ashamed. So again, he uses the word phileo. He just can't get the word agape out. But again, for the second time, Jesus restores him, pointing him again to his pastor's position to come, feed my sheep. Feed the adult population of my church. Be a pastor to the church, Peter. Lead and disciple 
the adults, it is such a high calling. Be faithful to the Word of God as you pastor and teach my people. Then a third time, in John 21, verse 17, Jesus asked Simon, do you love me? But the third time that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He downgrades his own language. So the first two times he says, do you agape love me? The third time he says, do you at least phileo love me, Peter, Simon? He downgrades his language. And you'll notice that the Bible says when he asks this third question that Peter is grieved. And if you don't understand the language, you don't really understand why he's grieved. But Peter is upset and grieved because Jesus has downgraded his own language and his own question. He's moved now, do you just love me like a brother? Do you just phileo me? Are you just fond of me? And Peter's grieved. Jesus had reduced his request. But Peter answers and says, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you like my brother. Despite his lesser, weaker language, Jesus still restores him in these three questions. And again, he says, feed my sheep. Pastor and shepherd my people. Feed them well on my word. Lead them to know me as Savior and help them, Peter, to walk with me. Even though Peter has lost all of his confidence in these three denials, the Lord affirms him and restores him and blesses him. And he's building back on that foundation that Peter will once again become the rock of faith and the rock of trust. So Jesus is helping him growing him, patient with him, restoring him, rebuilding the foundation that Peter would once again become Peter, the rock, the preacher of God through Jesus Christ, his Lord. Even though Peter lost his confidence, Jesus is building him again. Then after these three questions, Jesus gives Peter a flash into the future. It's the last verses that we studied today, but look at verses 18 and 19. So Jesus continues now after the three questions. Then he says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Follow me. First of all, notice verse 18, that it begins with verily, verily. That means, as we have learned in our study of John, when Jesus says verily, verily, that means the next statement I'm going to make is very important. Don't miss what I'm going to say. So Jesus says verily, verily. Peter, you're a strong man, and you've always chosen your path. And praise God, your path led you to choose me. You chose me as Savior. You followed me. You defended me. Sometimes you defended me so much it was inappropriate. You cut off a guy's ear, but you defended me. You've walked with me. You've ministered with me. And it's been your choice. You've chosen to do that. You weren't always perfect, but you chose me, and you followed me. But Peter, one day to come, Someone else is going to choose your fate. 
Someone else is going to lead you where you would not go yourself. You're not going to be in charge of your future on that day. And you will be led to death, Peter, simply because you followed me. Simply because you ministered in my name. Simply because you proclaimed me as Lord and Savior and God. But listen, Peter, even in your death, you will glorify me. The praise of Jesus Christ will be on your lips when you leave this earth by someone else's hands. The world will never forget your sacrifice. Well, biblically, we don't know how Peter died. There's no word in the Bible to teach us how Peter met his last moment on earth. We don't know that. But tradition tells us, and this is tradition, it's not biblical, but tradition teaches us that he died by the hand of Nero in A.D. 64, and he died by crucifixion. But, again, tradition records that he requested to be crucified upside down because he would not want to die like his Savior did. And when he left this earth, he left glorifying God. Now, the last words of our Scripture today in verse 19, Jesus says to him, In all things, Peter, follow me. The Greek construction of those two words simply means, follow me, Peter. You have followed me in the past. I want you to follow me today, and I want you to follow me in every day there is to come. Never turn your back on me. Never weaken your commitment to me. Follow me. Follow me now. Follow me forever. Continuously follow me day by day. You know, I love this moment in Peter's life. We think about how Jesus restored him. But really, when we truly consider what this scripture is about, it's redemptive for us. How many of us can say, I've never failed Jesus? Who among us, either here in house or on stream, could ever say, I've never failed Jesus? I've never compromised my Savior. I've never met this glitch in my life that I walked away from him. If some of my failures were here on these screens, I would be totally ashamed. I would not be able to complete a sermon behind this pulpit if my sin was not forgiven. Praise God. We know a Lord who restores us. Amen? The scripture about Peter speaks to me and should speak to you. That when we come to the Lord Jesus and ask to be restored, to be forgiven of that which we've done to walk away from Him or to fail Him in some way, He promises us that He'll pull us back out of that mire and He will wash us and get us back on the track of serving Him. He restored Peter. He rebuilt the foundation of faith for the old rock. And praise God it's true for us. He loves us. And even when we walk away, He will restore us. We need to simply pray, Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that forgiveness began the moment I came to you and said, I need Jesus as my Savior. I am a sinner, and I am lost, and I am hell-bound. And yet, Lord Jesus, I believe that you took my place of punishment on the cross for my sin. You took my sin, and you nailed it to your own cross that I might be forgiven. 
And forgiveness began that moment. If you were 8 years old, or if you were 18 years old, or if you were 80 years old, whenever you said yes to Jesus, whenever you accepted Him as Lord and Savior and invited Him into your heart, forgiveness began that moment. But praise God, forgiveness continues every day of our life. And He restores us. And He loves us. And He brings us back when we need to come. We just need to pray, Lord, thank you that you never give up on me. Thank you that every day can be a new, fresh day of forgiveness as you are my Savior and my Lord. Thank him. Ask to be used by him. Ask that day by day you will decrease and he will increase according to John 3.30. Pray that you'll be more like him every single day. Pray that when you walk away, he will absolutely bring you back and restore you and bring you completely into a relationship with him and continue your ministry in him. Just as he continued Peter's ministry, he wants us to continue working for him. Maybe today you're here, or I think we have a greater congregation who's listening by stream today, but maybe you're hiding some failure. Maybe as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're hiding some shame, some way that you've walked away from him. And, and it's kept you away. Lord, I failed you in such a way that I have never really been back. Maybe you haven't been back to church because of the failure. You haven't been back as a student of the word or you haven't been back in prayer. You haven't come back in ministry because of the failure. Today can change your future. You just come before him and say, Lord Jesus, just like Peter, I need to be restored. I need you to forgive me and love me and bring me back onto the ministry team. Help me to worship you. Help me to study your word. Help me to pray. Help me to represent you in every area of my life. I just need to come home. I just need to come back. I ask you today, Lord, restore me. And today, if you're listening and you've never known Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to take you into the family of God. He's ready to adopt you as son or daughter if you will simply come. Wherever you are, if you're in this room today, this sanctuary, or if you're listening by stream and you're in a car or a kitchen or a living room, and you simply say, Lord, I am a sinner. And I'm sorry for what I've done against you. And I ask you, Lord, because you died for me on the cross, that you will forgive me. You poured out your blood and you laid down your life that I could be forgiven. I believe that. And I accept you as my Savior today, this moment. And I believe that you were resurrected from the grave, that I will have eternal life. And as it says in John 14, that you will prepare for me a home and I will live with you for eternity. I accept you as my Savior. If you've never done that, this is the day and this is the moment and this is the opportunity to respond not to an invitation from a little country preacher, but an invitation from the Son of God who went to the cross for you. If you've never received him, today's the day to say yes to him. Whatever you need, he meets us here. And praise God, he loves us with a deep, sacrificial, agape love. Let's pray together. Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments. Lord, thank you for the grace that we can partake of freely.
because of what you've done for us. Lord, today has been a very different service. We've had to rearrange everything because of the snow and our leaders who couldn't be here. But I thank you for Mason, Lord, and the way he just stepped in at the last minute. I thank you, Father, for everyone who has been a part of this service. I thank you, Father, for restoring us, for loving us, for calling us into mission and into ministry. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to contribute of our lives that the kingdom of God might grow on this earth. Help us to be faithful. If there's one, Lord, who is a believer today who needs to come home, I pray this is the moment. If there's one today, Father, who needs Jesus as Savior, I pray they come to kneel at his feet and accept you and have eternal life given this very moment becoming a son or daughter of God. Bless us in this very important moment of decision, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.